0: Today's scripture comes from the book of Acts, chapter 8, verse 4 to 13, and verses 26 to 39. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip, when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news, about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they are baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles, miracles performed, he was amazed. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever.
1: Well, good afternoon. My name is Gene, and I'm one of the pastors here at Exilic, and I want to welcome you to our Sunday afternoon service today. We are currently going through a sermon series on the DNA of our church, and Even though we are a young church, we have made it a tradition to begin every year with a sermon series on our name, our mission, and our vision. This week I was listening to a podcast with uh, Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey, and he was describing some of the challenges of figuring out the balance between adapting to needs as they arise over time and staying true to what Twitter is as a company. So while innovation is important, it cannot come at the cost of identity. And the same is true for our church. We can't be so rigid that we can't adapt to the developing needs of our people, but at the same time, we can't depart from who we are and what God has called us to do as a church. So this is why every year we begin by reminding ourselves of our core values and recalibrating as we launch into the new year. So this week we'll finish up on the mission of Exilic before we end with two sermons on the vision of Exilic. Now our mission statement, as you can see here, is helping the thinker believe, helping the believer think. And this is what we want to do as a church. So I want to answer three questions about our mission statement today. Who does it involve? How do we do it? And finally, why do we do it? So who, how, and why? But first, let me give you some background about our passage today. Our passage today, it marks this pivotal point in the history of the church. So the book of Acts uh, begins with Jesus ascending to heaven. But before he goes, he tells his followers, don't leave Jerusalem. Stay in Jerusalem. Wait, because the Holy Spirit is coming. Acts 1.8 says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So this verse is essentially the outline that the book of Acts follows. In our community groups this week, we discussed the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to the apostles, to the church at Pentecost. And what happens? Empowered by the Holy Spirit, the apostles go and they testify, they proclaim the good news of Jesus, and they begin in Jerusalem. But the gospel goes out of Jerusalem to all of Judea and then Samaria and then with Paul to the surrounding nations and finally to the ends of the earth. Or the book of Acts ends with Paul in Rome at the very heart of the empire. Our passage today is kind of that transition between stage one and two. So the gospel is in Jerusalem. And from here, it goes into Samaria. Now, two chapters before, Acts chapter 6, there are seven deacons who are chosen to serve the church. So seven deacons are chosen, and one of those, Stephen, is actually executed in Acts chapter 7. And that begins this all-out persecution. And many Christians in Jerusalem have to now flee the city. So Philip is also one of the original seven deacons and he goes to Samaria and he preaches and and he crowds gather to hear about Jesus. These miraculous and incredible things start to happen. Demons are cast out, the sick are healed and the Samaritans who are there, they are amazed. They believe Philip and they are baptized, including one man whose name is Simon he was a famous magician. And then an angel comes to Philip and tells him, hey, now I want you to go south to this particular road uh, in the desert that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. And Philip obeys, and he finds a chariot on the road, and the chariot belongs to this Ethiopian eunuch. Now, This man was a very important court official of uh, Candace, who was the queen of Ethiopia. And he was basically the, the secretary of treasury for Ethiopia. And Philip approaches him in the chariot, and he finds the Ethiopian reading the scroll of Isaiah. And Philip asks him, hey, do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch answers, how can I unless someone helps me? And they do a little Bible study right there in the chariot. Philip hops in and and they do a Bible study and Philip starts to teach him from that very passage about how it's all about Jesus. And just as they're doing that, they're passing by some water and they get out of the chariot and Philip baptizes him before the Holy Spirit takes Philip away. So that's the story in our passage today. And I want to say the mission... Of Exilic, the mission statement of Exilic, it's not a new thing, but it is the same mission that Jesus gives to the church. So our mission statement, it's basically a rewording, a restatement of the Great Commission in Matthew 28. And the same mission that the Christians here in the book of Acts receive, be Christ's witnesses here and to the ends of the earth. So I want to answer three questions today. Who does our mission statement involve? How do we do it? And why do we do it? Who, how, and why? First two. Last week, Brian said in his sermon that our mission is God's mission. We join God in his mission rather than doing our own mission. And this is absolutely what we see in our passage today. God is the one who orchestrates everything. He arranges all of the circumstances. He moves all the pieces on the chessboard. God is in control. And what we see again and again in the Bible is that God's ways are not our ways, His thoughts are not our thoughts. He does things that don't make sense. He does things that we don't quite get. We can't see the big picture, we can't understand what God's doing because He's God. And he's operating so far ahead of what we, have, we are capable of understanding. He doesn't do what we expect. Don't we often have this very karmic understanding of life? If we do good, then good should happen to us. If we do bad, then we deserve and often get misfortune. But in the chapter right before, Stephen is a good man. But he's brutally stoned to death by an angry mob. And this opens the gates wide for persecution of Christians throughout Jerusalem. Verse 3 says, But Saul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. The Christians in Acts 8, they must have been shocked about what happened to Stephen. They actually bury his body, mourning the loss of a dear brother. And immediately, they hear that they're not safe either. But that the authorities are literally going door to door and dragging Christians off to prison. So many of them, they have to flee Jerusalem right away. And they must have been wondering this. Where is God? Wait. Wait. I thought God would protect us. Why is he letting these things occur? Were we wrong about God? Does he exist? Is he actually for us? Does he love us? And Philip, personally, he must have been a wreck too. To lose Stephen, his fellow deacon, his friend, his brother, to see him beaten to death with stones. And then to have to leave his home in the middle of the night to Samaria of all places. You know, Samaria was a place that the Jews, they deliberately went the long way to avoid at all costs. The Samaritans, they were these ancient cousins of the Jews. They, they intermarried with other nations, and then they compromised the Jewish faith. They took the Old Testament and they got rid of all of it except for the first five books. Then they built their own rival temple at Mount Gerizim. And then they converted that temple to worship not God, but Zeus. Remember the utter scandal when Jesus is caught talking to the Samaritan woman at the well in John 4. Remember the the shock of the crowds when Jesus tells the parable of the good Samaritan in the book of Luke. Now, if I were Philip, I I would be devastated. Where are you, God? Why are these things happening? Why am I in Samaria? So many things happen in these accounts that, that we could never anticipate. God advances his kingdom. He advances the gospel through persecution and suffering rather than popularity and success. In fact, the very man who persecutes the church, Saul, he becomes the most important voice of the church, the most important missionary, and he even forfeits his own life for Jesus. It's interesting that while the church in Jerusalem is being ravaged, the Samaritans end up rejoicing greatly as they believe in Jesus. And Philip kind of gets a double whammy. Because he ends up in Samaria, and what does he do? He preaches, crowds gather, crazy things start happening, everything's going great, and then God says to him, "Um, Philip, now I want you to go south. There's this desert, there's this road that no one takes, and there might be one man there that you can talk to. And Philip could be asking, God, did I hear you right? Shouldn't I be here Things are going really well here. People are believing they're being baptized. Miracles are happening. God, don't you need me here? I need to continue preaching, doing ministry right here. But just so he's super clear, God actually sends an angel to tell Philip to go to the middle of nowhere, to minister not to crowds, but to one man, a eunuch at that. So we see in these verses that God totally does the unexpected His directions are completely indefensible according to all human metrics and wisdom. And amazingly, the Christians obey. Imagine these events happen to you. You know, very similar things are actually happening right now in China as the government there is cracking down on the church. It's common for Christians to simply disappear in the middle of the night. Imagine you got a call And you didn't even have time to pack a bag. You had to get out of the city immediately or you would be arrested. What would be on your mind? Your thoughts would probably focus on family and friends. Are they safe? Are they okay? You'd be worrying about how you were going to survive, where you're going to stay, how you're going to support yourself, what you're going to eat. You'd be racked with anxiety and fear that you would be caught. You know what the Christians here did? Verse 4, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Their response to persecution, as they're running for their lives, they preach the word. Amazing. They view suffering as not something to be avoided at all costs, but as an opportunity to share their faith. And I think that the reason, one of the biggest reasons why I picked this passage specifically to preach today is because ultimately it's not the apostles who are the focus of missionary activity here. You know why? Because the apostles, they all stay in Jerusalem. It was the lay Christians, the everyday Christians, who scatter, who spread the good news. There's a quote in your bulletin from Kenneth Letourette. Let me read that for us. He says, The chief agents in the expansion of Christianity appear not to have been those who made it a profession, but men and women who carried on their livelihood in some purely secular manner and spoke of their faith to those they met in this natural fashion. The next quote there is by Will Metzger. He, here's what he says. In our world, probably 99.9% of all Christians are not in ministry. Unless everyone engages in evangelism, praying, initiating, and fervently speaking the gospel, not much will happen. New birth into God's kingdom usually involves people as spiritual midwives. This is critical to our mission here. We don't want to be a church in which the church's pastors or the church's programs and ministries do all the work of our mission statement. We want to be a church that trains and empowers its members to go out and be salt and light in this city. You know, the church as an institution, nowhere in the Bible is it called to change the world. We don't see that command. But it's people, believers, they will be witnesses of Christ in their families, schools, workplaces, and in broader society. Did you know that Philip was not an apostle? He was not a pastor or an elder. He was simply a believer who was not afraid to obey. He was not ashamed to tell others about his faith. We want to be a church that cultivates and sends out many Philips into our city and our world. It's no accident that our CGs, our community groups, for example, meet every other week instead of every week. There's a reason why we try not to overload our calendar with different events and ministries. Why? Because we don't want to bring you into the church and keep you here. We want to faithfully teach you about Jesus and then send you out into the city and world, to the hard places where other people don't want to go. So where did Philip go in this chapter? To outsiders. Samaritans, they were racial outsiders. Simon the magician, he was a racial outsider, but he was also a religious outsider, practicing in the occult. The Ethiopian eunuch, he was a racial, a religious, and also a social outsider because he was a eunuch. You know, he came all the way from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to worship God, and he wouldn't have gotten in through the front door, the front gate of the temple. You know, because Gentiles can make it in the front gate to the court of Gentiles, and they can worship there, but he wouldn't have made it that far because he was a eunuch. So he would have been excluded And then when Philip preaches to the crowds, we see many who are spiritually oppressed and many who are physically disabled, total outsiders. I want to ask you, who are the outsiders in your life to whom God might be calling you? Who are the people in need of good news? That's the who. The next question is the how. And I want to point you to two specific people mentioned here Simon the magician and the Ethiopian eunuch. You know, Simon was a magician or a sorcerer. He was either someone who dabbled in the supernatural or he was this illusionist who tricked people with sleight of hand and special effects. Either way, he hears what Philip is preaching and then he marvels at the miracles that happen. And these are things that he could never replicate or explain. And he believes, and he is baptized. And then when Peter and John, they come to Samaria, they pray for the Samaritans, and the the Holy Spirit comes to the Samaritans. Simon sees this, and what he does is he reaches into his wallet, and he tries to offer Peter and John money so that he could have the same power that they have. And Peter just lays into Simon. He rebukes Simon and he says, you have totally misunderstood God, the gospel. You're trying to exploit God for personal gain. And he tells Simon, you need to repent because your heart is not right with God. So Simon the magician, he was a believer who was baptized but he needed to be corrected in the way he understood God and in the way he was not properly believing in God. He needed help thinking. The Ethiopian eunuch, on the other hand, he could not have been more different. He was not a believer. He was, though, a thinker. I don't know the circumstances in which he became a seeker, but he was a man of significant influence in his own country. He somehow heard of the God of Israel, and he came all the way from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to find and worship God. And most likely, he probably didn't get very far at all. And he was returning home, and even sitting in his chariot, he's studying the scroll of Isaiah. He's studying the Bible, searching for answers. Philip finds him reading Isaiah 53, which is one of the clearest pictures of Jesus in the Old Testament. And did you know that this was the very first example of one-on-one evangelism that we see in the book of Acts? Philip asks him this question, do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch answers him, how can I unless someone helps me? He is a thinker desperately wants to believe so we have in these two people a thinker and a believer the thinker needs help believing the believer needs help thinking how does it happen well in exactly the same way they both need to be taught correctly about the gospel they both need to be taught about jesus Peter tells Simon the magician, you're a sinner. Your heart is not right. You're trying to do this for your personal advancement and gain. Peter has to teach him how the way up is down in the gospel. The way down is up. You have your thinking wrong. And the Ethiopian eunuch, all he's ever met when he's trying to come to God is barriers. And he's wondering this question, can, can, is there any way that someone like me could believe? He needs to be shown that Jesus can save someone like him. Both men need to be taught the truth of the gospel. So here at our church, how do we help the thinker believe and the believer think? By faithfully proclaiming and teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ as he's found in the Bible? Let me ask you, what do you think is your deepest need? We often look to our circumstances, don't we? I need more money, a better job, a satisfying relationship, a marriage possibly. I need to lose weight. I need to improve my appearance, deepen my relationship with family and friends. You know, all of these may be true, but the Bible says that your deepest need is not circumstantial. It's not outside of you. Your deepest need is to know Jesus. So whether you are a seeker or a Christian, Jesus is who you need and all you need. Our mission is to point you to Jesus and help you think about him and believe in him. The final question is why? What is the goal of our mission statement? And these first couple of verses in this chapter, they're not printed in your bulletin, but let me read them for you. And I want to show you some contrast that that Luke is showing us here. Verse 1, And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison." This chapter starts out super dark. Persecution, separation, death, lamentation, ravaging, dragging, prison. Verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs he did for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. From the depths of all of the ugliness, Philip proclaims Christ. And what happens? Unclean spirits flee in terror. The lame walk. The city rejoices. Why do we help the thinker believe and the believer think? The answer is joy. Much joy. So much joy. Despite darkness, ugliness, pain, death, persecution that's all around us in our city and in our world, there is joy You know, my wife and I, uh, more my wife spent a lot of time this week planning a surprise Disney World trip next month for our son Andy's fifth birthday, which is coming up. And uh, we dropped an ungodly amount of money on tickets. And I thought that would be it. We go, we have fun, we come home, nuh-uh. You have to plan this meticulously or you're going to spend all of your time they're waiting in line for rides there are four huge parks and we got a six day pass and people start to reserve things months in advance so we're, we're trying to reserve certain rides and experiences and things are already all gone it was really stressful for my wife this week doing all this research on YouTube and reading blogs and finding out all the ins and outs of of the resort. So many details, so much money. For what? I'm already exhausted. It's not going to be fun for me. This is not going to be a vacation for me. I'm going to need a vacation from this vacation. But this week, Jeannie and I, we kept reminding each other as we're kind of closing our eyes and just clicking on things. (laughs) Think think of how excited they're going to be. Imagine the look on their faces. That's why we're doing this. It it makes it all worth it. I I can't wait until that moment when Andy and Caleb hear the good news. And their faces light up and they rejoice. I cannot wait to see their joy, the end product, the reason why we do this. What it's all for is joy. I want to ask you this question. How good is the good news of the gospel to you? Does it make you rejoice? You think, how in the world can these Christians who, who are being evicted from their homes, who are in exile to different parts, they, they've seen their friends die and other friends and family arrested, how can they go and just preach? You know, it's because that despite all of the tragedy, the suffering, the misfortune, they have something exceedingly, surpassingly good. They have something that is so good that nothing can take that away. Isn't it our natural instinct when something good happens to us, we just want to share it with others? I, I see some of you ladies who just get engaged and you're like this, worshiping like this, because <laughs> you, 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 want, you want to share good news. You want other people to know. That makes the experience better. And even when bad things happen, what do we do? We think of the good. We think of that which we do have, that which we cannot lose. You know, after Philip breaks the good news to the Ethiopian eunuch, he tells them about Jesus. They just happened to be passing a body of water. And the eunuch suggests baptism in a very strange way. Verse 36, and as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? This is the moment he gets it. His eyes are opened to the truth. He's found what he's been searching for for so long. And I I imagine him just trembling with excitement as he asks Philip, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And here's what he's asking him. He's asking him this. Is there anything? Is there anything that is preventing me from being baptized? You see, deep down, He knows, he knows that he is unfit for the presence of God. They were actually right when they wouldn't let him in the temple. He knows that he is not good enough for God. He knows that he doesn't belong. He knows that someone like him can't possibly be loved by someone like him. So he's asking Philip, is there there anything that is preventing? Can can someone like me be baptized? I'm an outsider. Is there any way I can come in? Is there any hope for someone like me? Can I believe in the good news? The good news for the eunuch is that the answer is nothing. There is nothing that prevents you from being baptized. There is no weakness in you that Jesus cannot overcome. There is no sin that Jesus cannot forgive. Jesus is enough. Jesus can save someone like you. Jesus, the ultimate insider, became the ultimate outsider so that he could bring an outsider like you all the way in. You are included in the salvation that Jesus won through his death and resurrection. You belong. And I wish I was there for that baptism. I wish I could see the joy Because it says he is baptized and he leaves rejoicing. Do you rejoice at the fact that you belong? That someone like you, unfit, can be brought in? The final quote in your bulletin from Jeffrey Thomas, here's what he says. When this great awakening happened in Samaria, lives were transformed and turned upside down a whole new way of life began. People began to talk in a new and different way and they were full of enthusiasm about certain new things that had come into their lives. They had a new perspective on life, family, job, money, and possessions. They themselves were new people caught up by a new strength and they were united in Christian fellowship by a glorious power that affected everything they did and thought. Friends, that is the hope for our church that we will bring good news to thinkers and believers, and that we would be a church that rejoices in the gospel. While darkness, sin, misery, suffering, and death are all around us, we rejoice because the news we have received is so, so, so good. May that be the mission of our church, that we would go to the outsiders in our city and in our world, that they too may join with us as we rejoice in our Savior. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you so much that sinners like us, undeserving, unfit, could be brought in. We thank you that though we were outsiders, you have brought us, us in because you yourself, the insider, became the outsider. We thank you that we have good news that can never be taken away from us. Help us never to forget it. We thank you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name.